to some things and see some things. Isaiah 52 verse 1 says this, Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up, sit enthroned, Jerusalem, and free yourself from the chains around your neck. Daughter Zion, now a captive. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them, and now what do I have here, declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, and who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. You know, you look at that passage, and this whole theme for this whole weekend is based around that last, that last section there, right? Where he says, how beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. He says, listen, it is such a beautiful sight to see someone coming over that mountain, mountain, bounding over that mountain, those beautiful feet that bring this incredibly good news. And, and, and specifically in this passage, that good news they don't understand this yet. That good news is for them and for what they're going through then, but it's also a prophecy about what is going to happen when Jesus comes, and it's the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of the fact that not only are they about to be saved from the peril that they are in, but it's the good news of what Jesus was going to do for the rest of eternity, what he was going to provide for all of us. And they couldn't quite grasp that then. And at the time, they're looking at this, and they're seeing the good news, the gospel that is about to free them. And see, part of the beauty of the good news of the gospel is that it is about freedom. The beauty of the gospel is about freedom. You see, as he goes down through this passage, you see him say things like this. He, he's talking to them as they're in captivity. And he says, shake off your dust. Now, I know every person in here has experienced this in one way or another, where you look at your life and you think about where you are and you feel like you've just been knocked flat on your butt, right? We've, we've all been there. We've all experienced this to where everything in life just does not seem to be going the way that it should be, and you get knocked down, and you try to get up, and you get knocked down, and you try to get up, and you're sitting there, and you just feel like you're just covered in, in dust, and muck, and dirt, and you look at life, and you're like, man, I just don't know. I don't know if I can get up. I don't even know at this point if I want to get up anymore, and, and you can imagine Israel sitting there in captivity, and they've, they've, been, they've done this three times. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but they're in their third captivity at this point. Can you imagine how they feel, and they're just sitting there, and they're like stuck in it? And I know our churches well enough to know that so many of us have just been so stuck in it over time, to where we, 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 we have a hard time imagining that things could be any different. You know, we study the Bible with people. And as we study the Bible with them, we go to, through Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, and we talk about the plans that God has for people's lives. And we ask them, do you have a hard time believing this? Do you have a hard time understanding that God has great plans for your life? And over and over and over again. And as we studied with many of you, you sat there and you said, yeah, absolutely, I have a hard time believing that God has great plans for my life. Look where I am. Wouldn't you have a hard time believing that as well? 
And here you've got these people who are in their third captivity already. And he's like, get up and shake the dust off. And, you know, I don't know whether at that point they're going to be frustrated or excited about what he's saying. But then he goes on and he goes beyond that and he says, rise up. And then he says, free yourself from the chains on your neck. You know, if you've ever watched, if you've ever watched movies about captivity, you've watched movies about slavery, you've seen that scene, right, where people had those big, thick chains around their neck, those big, those big, thick bindings around their neck, and then chains come off of those, and they chain them to something else, and there's no escaping that, right? You're just like, how? there's no way to get this off. And so many of us have been in that same position before. We have been so enslaved by sin. We have been so enslaved by the decisions that we've made. And we've been so enslaved by the hurts that have taken place in our lives that we, have, we, have, we can't fathom the fact that there could be freedom somewhere out there. And you look at this passage and he's telling them, listen, you're going to take those chains off, but you think back to before you were a Christian and you think about where you were in your life and you're going to start seeing the beauty of the gospel because where you were before is you had this thick chain binding you, tying you down to all of the junk that had taken place in your life. And some of you might still be there, but you look and you were enslaved by that and you were chained down to the sin. You were chained down to the horrible decisions that you had made. You were chained down to the addiction that you had found, whether it be some kind of substance in alcohol or some kind of drug. And the only way that you could get through your day is if you knew if you could get that fixed, then it might just help you push forward for a few hours so that you can get through that day to make, make it to that night so that you could lay down in your bed at night and you could cry yourself to sleep or you could sit there and think about how awful things were going before you went to bed and you would get up the next day and you would start that whole cycle all over again, all the while dragging that chain that's around your neck. Or you're sitting there and you're thinking about all the, the mistakes that you've made sexually and all of the hurts that you have from that and how abandoned and worthless and tossed to the side that you had felt because of that sin in your life. And you, you, you sat there and you wondered, man, is there anybody that's actually going to love me for me? Not just what they can get out of me and what they can get from me, but man, am I ever going to be really actually cared for? And you were enslaved by that sin. You were enslaved by that addiction to pornography. You were enslaved by all of these things. You were enslaved by the fact that you looked and you're like, man, my family is so screwed up. There is no way. There is no way that I can ever have a good family. There's no way that I could ever have something different. I was sexually abused. I was physically abused. I was berated. My parents were alcoholics. I was abandoned as a kid. I don't even know who my dad is. My mom treats me like trash. And we could sit here and we could go on over and over and over. And we could talk about it. And we could talk all day long about your stories and about how screwed up life was before Christ and how those chains bound you and how those chains enslaved you. But there's good news in the gospel. And there's good news, and it is a beautiful news that he's bringing to these people who have been in captivity. He says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you shake that dust off. I'm going to help you get rid of those chains. He says, you know, he goes down after that and he says, man, at first my people, they went down into Egypt to live. And what he's talking about is when Joseph came in, right? And Joseph basically helped save the Israelite people. God used Joseph to save them from famine. And then what happened is the Israelites started moving into Egypt. And then they were there for so long that other pharaohs came along. And what the indication that you get when you're reading is that eventually the Israelites stopped living in such a way that it was exemplifying God. And all of a sudden what you see taking place is that Pharaoh and the rest of Egypt have forgotten about Joseph. 
They've forgotten about who God was and what God had done. And so they end up enslaved there. And some of you have been in that same position as decisions that you made. Man, they enslaved you. You know, the, the things that you did. And then what happens is after that, you find out that Assyria comes in and takes God's people again. And they're enslaved by them. And then they're enslaved by the Babylonians. And it just seems like they are never going to be freed. And they jump from one form of slavery to another form of slavery to another form of slavery. And God's like, listen, I am here to bring you out of this. And I want you to think for a minute about how disgusting and ugly life looked before the beautiful news came to your ears and you had an opportunity to respond to it. And I want you to think about all of the things that you jumped from, all of the things that you were enslaved by. I was enslaved by this, and then I felt, thought I'd overcome that, and then I fell into this, and I was enslaved by that. And all of those things that captivated you and that held you and kept you from all the incredible things that God had in store for your life, I want you to think about how screwed up and disgusting life was before you had an opportunity to hear the beautiful news that was brought to you by some beautiful feet that said, listen, there is something more for you. You know, one of my favorite parts about this whole thing is, is that this whole theme and the whole, the whole idea that it comes out of Isaiah 52 is this. He says, listen, beautiful feet are going to bring you good news, right? They're gonna bring you salvation. You know what the next chapter is? It's Isaiah 53. How awesome is God that after he's sitting there and he's telling him he's like you're enslaved but you're going to be set free and he's about to tell them something they are not going to understand or fathom but he is going to tell them the greatest news that has ever been introduced to the world in the very next chapter of this book he says listen you're going to be set free from these things good news is coming it's coming over the mountain carried by beautiful feet and then you hit Isaiah 53. We got that whole thing up there by any chance, Jonah? Isaiah 53? You know, we study the Bible with people about this, right? And we sit here, and, and today, guys, this isn't going to be a bunch of new stuff. But I want you to think for just a moment about what he's saying here. And I want you to think about your life and how you were captivated by sin, how it enslaved you, how it was killing you. It was choking the life out of you. And then you hear this. Who can believe what we have heard? And for whose sake has the Lord's arm been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, right? He's talking about Jesus. They have no, they have no clue how, how incredible this good news is that's about to come. Keep going, John, if you would. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering. He was familiar with pain, like from one whom people hid their faces. He was despised, and he was held in low esteem. And surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. 
He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life, and he will be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You know, as you read down through, as you read down through Isaiah 53, it's, it's incredible to see what's taking place, because these people who have been so enslaved, who are living such an ugly, such a screwed up, disgusting life, were about to be set free and beautiful news was coming over the mountain, but it wasn't just coming over the mountain for them. It was a prophecy for what Jesus was going to do for each and every one of us. And while we were dead in our sin and we were so screwed up, he said, listen, I'm sending somebody to take care of you, right? And we study this, we study this passage with people in death, right? So in-depth, as a matter of fact, that we read through this and we tell them this is a prophecy about Jesus. This is a prophecy about what was going to take place for him. This is a prophecy about how he was going to come to earth and he was going to live a perfect life. And he was never going to sin. He was never going to do anything wrong. And he was going to come because of his concern for you. And then he was going to be, he was going to be tortured. And he was going to be beaten. And he was going to be despised. And he was going to be abandoned by his friends. Sorry, this mic keeps falling. He was going to be abandoned by his friends, and then he was going to be hung on a cross, and he was going to die for our sins. And then we read through this, and then we start taking out the personal pronouns, right? And, and, and we look, can we go back to verse 1 of Isaiah 53, John? You know, we take out the personal pronouns, pronouns as we study with people. And we look at that, and we, and we read down through it, and we talk about things like, we say things like, you know, he was, he was killed for the sins of Jackson, for the sins of Christian, for the sins of faith, for the sins, right? And we put people's name in there. And we're like, Jesus died. And all of these things were for you. And there is nothing more beautiful than to know when we were that down, when we were that outcast, when we were that messed up, Jesus loved us enough to give up everything for us. You see, the gospel is about freedom, but the gospel is also, the beauty of the gospel is love and sacrifice, it's what he was willing to do for us. Second Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Romans 5, verses 6 through 11 and verses 15 through 17 say this. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That is you and I. The beauty of the gospel is that when we were powerless and when we were sinful and we cared nothing for him, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? He says, listen, not only were you living in your sin, not only were you dead, but you were going to have to face the wrath of God someday. And not only were you pulled out of this, this life that had enslaved you, but you weren't saved just for that moment. You were saved for eternity whenever you chose to follow Christ, when you were clothed in him because of his sacrifice. Not only this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He says, listen, you were separated from God before Jesus was willing to make this sacrifice. And the beauty of the gospel is that his love and sacrifice was able to reconcile the most important relationship that you could ever have in all of your life. A relationship without the sacrifice, without the good news, without the gospel of Jesus, you would have never been able to know God. You would have never been able to have an intimate relationship with him that would change everything for you. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died for the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? See, the, the, the beauty of the gospel involves freedom, it involves love, it involves sacrifice, it involves the fact that all of our sin was taken by Jesus so that we could all be reconciled to God, so that we could all have God reign in our lives, so that we could have something so different than we have ever, had ever experienced before. And too many times what happens in our relationship with God is we forget that. We forget that Christ brought freedom, the gospel brought freedom to our lives and drug us out of all these places, and we forget about those things, and we find ourselves being enslaved by those things again because we have forgotten what he's done. We find ourselves, we forget the love and the sacrifice that was, that was given for us. We take communion every Sunday, but for some reason, it sometimes goes in one ear and out the other, and we totally don't even remember, man, what it really means to have someone who loves us that deeply, that when we were that screwed up and when the world was that broken, he would be willing to come here and die to pay for all of our sins. You see, the beauty of the gospel involves freedom. The beauty of the gospel is love and sacrifice, but the beauty of the gospel is also transformative. You see, part of the beauty of the gospel is the fact that it was never designed to be something that we saw once and we we're like, oh yeah, I, I believe that. I'm saved now. And then we go on living our lives the way we did before we said, before we heard the gospel and before we said we believed it. And the sad thing is, is that today what Christianity has done is it's turned it into exactly that. Modern Christianity, especially here in North America, what we have done is, what, what churches have done is we've said, the gospel is that Jesus came and died for your sins, and if you believe in him, you're saved. And we've left it at that, and that is not the full gospel. That is not the full gospel. And so we've got to understand, anytime you look in Scripture and you see a response to the good news, the beautiful news of Jesus, 
you see transformation take place. And if someone tells you that they believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they have never allowed it to transform their lives, and they think they are right with God, they are sadly mistaken. And I don't mean that sarcastically. It's a, it's a sad thing. Because let me tell you, if you haven't been transformed, you don't know what the good news is. You don't understand the gospel, you don't understand faith, and you don't understand a relationship with God. If the gospel, the beautiful news of Jesus, didn't transform your life, if you're not different because of it, you haven't experienced it. You understand that? You look at passages like 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So then if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away and look, new things have arrived. He says, listen, this good news that I told you about was that Jesus was going to come here and he was going to be willing to die for all of our sins. And if you put your faith in him, it brings about a change that takes place in your life. And that old person that you were before you knew the good news, before you responded to the beautiful gospel, before you knew those things, you were one way. But after, you should be a different way. Because the old you is gone and the new you is something totally different than it ever was before because of the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus. And, I, and, and listen, this sermon is not for other churches who teach otherwise. The sermon is for us because sometimes I think we need to be reminded that the gospel says the old me needs to be gone and the new me needs to be raised in Christ and I need to be clothed in him and I need to look different than I ever did before because the beauty of the gospel is the transformation that it allows you and I to go through because of the grace, love, and mercy of Jesus Christ. You know, you, you think about the things that most some of the most beautiful things. A caterpillar is ugly. Right? A caterpillar is ugly. I was fishing with my granddaughter, Grace, on our vacation. And she, and she, I wish she was here so she could say it because I can't remember how she says caterpillar. It was the most adorable thing ever. But she's like, that's a caterpillar. And I'm like, that is a caterpillar and that thing is ugly. It's green. It's got spikes all over it, right? But man, when that transformation takes place and that thing's become something new and the old is put away and those beautiful wings come out, you look at that transformation and you're like, that is beautiful. There's something so beautiful about the transformations that take place. This is going to seem like a weird thing, but uh, for me, when I was thinking about beautiful transformations and what brings them about, I kept thinking about Ted Lasso. <laughs> like, I don't know how many of you are friends with Ted Lasso, but it, you don't have to understand the show, and I'm not going to give anything away. You should go watch it. It gets a little wonky for a couple episodes, season three, but they bring it back around. But Ted Lasso is just this good-hearted dude. He really is. When you watch the show, you just fall in love with this character. He, he's a guy who wants to treat people right. He loves and cares for people. He wants to believe that people are good and the world is good, and he wants to dream for people. And my favorite part of that whole show is the fact that when Ted comes into people's lives, he starts rubbing off on them, and they start changing themselves. And you get to watch from the beginning of that show, characters you cannot stand and characters that you feel so sorry for and characters who are so steeped in depression and bitterness and, and rage and hurt from their past. And you see Ted's good heart start working on them and you start seeing those characters transform. And at the end of the show, characters at multiple times during the show, you couldn't, you just wanted to grab them by the neck and shake them. You know, at the end of the show, you're like, man, how cool is that? And I started thinking about it. I'm like, man, 
Ted Lasso doesn't compare to Jesus, but it's cool to see the transformation that took place. And man, how beautiful of a gospel, how beautiful is the news that God says, listen, I came here to free you because I love you and I care for you. I came here and the beauty of the gospel is I sacrificed everything for you so that you could be different, so that you could be reconciled to me, so you would have an opportunity to go to heaven, but so that you could be a different person than you were pre-Christ. And some of us need to ask ourselves, am I really very different? Because listen, if you're not different, the gospel hasn't been that beautiful to you, enough, not beautiful enough for you to respond to it the way that he called you to. Because he called you from an ugly life to a beautiful life. And the beauty of the gospel happens in the fact that it's transformative. And then finally, guys, the, the, the beauty of the gospel is also this. The beauty of the gospel is that it is timeless and it is not limited. All right? It is not limited. Guess what? There are a whole lot of reformed people out there right now who will tell you the gospel is limited. Right? I mean, they'll flat out tell you. It's called limited atonement. You know what limited atonement means? This is a very popular teaching amongst a lot of churches today. You know what it means? The gospel's not for everybody. Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' blood, it wasn't enough to cover everybody. It's only for a certain amount of people, and that's it. And only those people can have a relationship with God. And the beauty of the gospel is that that teaching is trash. That's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that you can read this in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, and it's thousands of years before you were ever thought of, except by God. And yet today, that same beautiful gospel that came over that mountain with those beautiful feet that came down from heaven, that same beautiful gospel is still available to you and I right now. It's not limited because it is timeless and it can cover anyone who responds to it. First Timothy 1, 15 and 16 says, here's a trustworthy saying that there's full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, of who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example to those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He goes, this isn't just for them, it was for me too. And it's not just for me, but it's for them too. And he's pointing to the future and saying, man, God uses using me so that everybody else can see it. You know, one of the coolest parts of getting to study the Bible through our studies, uh, the booklets that we have up here, is the fact that we get to carry this beautiful gospel and we get to weave it in a story, right? And we study it with people and they get to see these things. But man, how cool is it that in Acts chapter eight, you're reading about this Ethiopian eunuch, right? Who didn't know much about God, but wanted to know so much, so desperately that he would travel to a place where he couldn't even go into the, into the actual worship facility. And then as he was leaving that place where he couldn't go into the actual worship facility and he's on this road, dangerous road, he's going to let this strange man run up next to his chariot and be like, hey, I want to know more about this. Crawl up in here with me and tell me. And he starts with that very passage of scripture. He starts telling him the good news. He starts telling him the beautiful gospel what chapter is he teaching him 
Isaiah 53. How cool is it? How cool is that? That this guy from Ethiopia is getting shared the same beautiful gospel that God's people were taught hundreds if not thousands of years before that. He's hearing that same exact message. And then today, we're studying that same exact message. And God is saying, listen, I want you to understand how beautiful this gospel is. It was for my people who were enslaved in the Old Testament. It was for my people who were hurting in the New Testament. And it is still for the hurting and broken and enslaved people today. Because the beauty of the gospel is that I love you that much that I was willing to sacrifice all of that. I love you so much. The beauty of the gospel is that I thought of you before you ever existed. And I planned for you to have the opportunity to be transformed by the beauty of the gospel. And I, I set this up so that not only would you be able to be transformed, but the beauty of it is you can give that to anyone else that you come into contact with. There's nothing more beautiful than that. There's nothing that I can't think about anything that's more fulfilling or more beautiful in my life than to get to do what I get to do, than to get to look out here at everybody in this crowd. And I know so many of your stories. And I know so many of your hurts, and here's the thing. Some of you I don't know, but I can look into your eyes, and I can be like, I can tell. I can tell that you've felt enslaved. I can tell that you've longed for something different. And the beauty of the gospel is, is you get to have it. You get to have something so different. You know, as this week goes on in the next couple of sessions, we're going to get to talk about praise, and we're going to get to talk about worship, and why the beautiful gospel should affect the way that we live, the way that we sing, the way that we do everything. And we're going to close this thing out tomorrow with the idea that, man, the beauty of the gospel is, is that it was meant to be carried by you. Don't, don't underestimate the power of how beautiful the gospel is. What we're going to do right now is I want you to take out uh, something you can write with if you don't have it out. I'm gonna put, we're going to play a song. And during this song, I want you to just take an opportunity, just take a moment to write out, man, how has the gospel been beautiful in my life? What is it, what, how has the beauty of the gospel transformed my life? How has it changed me? How has it made me different? How has it, how has it blessed my life? And while this song plays, Write that out, and then uh, when the song is finished, the worship team will be up here on the stage, and we'll close out with a song. We're going to pray, and then we're going to play that song, all right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, as we listen to the song, God, I pray that you will really help us to just realize how beautiful a relationship with you is, God, and that, uh, that we can think about those things and how it's impacted our lives, God, so that we can remember the beauty of the good news of what your son has done for us, God, that you, that you freed us, that, you, that, God, you saved us that you loved us and you were willing to sacrifice for us, God, and help us to remember that the beauty of the gospel shows up in the transformation of our lives. God, and help us to never forget that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.